Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Hey, what's up, Sojourn? Uh, my name is Nate Jordan. I am the youth pastor at Beaumont's First Baptist Church all the way in Beaumont, Texas. And uh, we are thrilled uh, to be coming up to visit you uh, next week. I got a team of four of us coming to visit, and uh, we have a couple of uh, church plant partners in the city of Portland. And uh, your pastor, Matt Boyd, and his wife, Andrea, and their family are, are one of our partners. And you, Sojourn Church, are one of our partners. And uh, we pray for you often here. And uh, we've been thinking of you often as well, going through the, the COVID uh, cycle that we've all gone through. Uh, we know it looks a little different for you than it does uh, for us here, but uh, we wanted to uh, just say, to send a greeting of encouragement and to say that uh, we're with you and we're praying for you and uh, and uh, we're glad to be here. And uh, Matt asked me to speak uh, on uh, a segment of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus's primary uh teaching, uh, probably the most famous teaching that he gave, uh, one of the most complete uh, translations on, uh, on, on, on his idea of what it was to have true righteousness. You know, there was an idea of righteousness in the world uh, that existed uh, in the Jewish circles and other circles, and Jesus came and sort of redefined that. Uh, and uh, you've been in Matthew chapter 6, which dealt with the Lord's Prayer, which I know you all spent some time on that. Um, but uh, Matthew chapter 6 deals a lot with money and a lot with wealth and this idea of giving to the needy uh, and this idea about fasting. I, I got to listen to Matt's teaching on fasting. I loved it. It was, it was great. Uh, this idea of when you fast. Uh, about uh, warning, uh, Last week, there was a warning against greed, uh, a warning against hoarding up things and wealth for yourself. And, uh, and some of these are, are some challenging teachings, honestly, that Jesus has given. And um, especially for us being Americans, uh, we generally probably have a wealth that's greater than most of the world. Uh, and so for me, it's an eye-opening and uh, text, and it's a time to reconsider uh, where my treasure really lies. Uh, and as we go today, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, uh, and go through the end of the chapter uh, and talk about this idea of being anxious or worry, uh, worrying. And uh, I think, man, what a... Uh, what an appropriate uh, topic uh, for this time. We've had a year of anxiety and worries and an unknown future. Um, there's been many times where uh, we, we've just dealt with a lot of things where, hey, are we going to have a job uh, in the future? Are, am I ever going to go back to the office? Are my children ever going to go back to school? Uh, I work with teenagers, so they thinking, am I going to have a prom? Am I going to have a graduation ceremony? Right, Things like this. Uh, and there's unknown, and the unknown can cause a lot of stress and in a lot of anxiety. And, uh, and so um, Jesus is going to talk about this anxiousness and worry, specifically uh, in this instance for those uh, who are concerned about uh, where their next meal is going to come from, what it is they're going to eat or drink, or what kind of clothing they're going to wear. And he's going to talk about this idea that, hey, you know what, if I prioritize my life, in such a way where my priority is God and His kingdom, then the other things were going to fall in order naturally. And I think that's where we're going to land today. But I want to read uh, this passage. So if you have your Bible, uh, or if you're using the YouVersion app or another Bible app to follow along, Matthew chapter 6, 
starting in verse 25. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Anxious is synonymous with worry here in the Bible. Uh, Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, your clothing. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And he gives an example here. Look at the birds of the air. You can imagine Jesus on this mountain, you know, pointing uh, to the sky here. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? We'll talk about that. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Consider how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's the idea of this sermon, right? Is what is true righteousness? Uh, seek first the kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this word and these words of Jesus, and I thank you for our brothers and sisters in Portland, Oregon, uh, for Matt and Andrea and their uh, faith family there. God, I just pray uh, that uh, they are blessed during this time. God, I pray that they are restored uh, through your word today. Lord, I pray you would use your word and uh, somehow use this sermon uh, to impact some lives there. And uh, I pray that we can not only hear this word, but we can live it out in our context from day to day. In Jesus' name, amen. A little bit about me. I have uh, a wife named Jamie and two children, Luke. My son is 11. My daughter, Hannah, is eight. Uh, And uh, that's uh, our life right now. Uh, Baseball and softball is our big thing that we're involved in outside of school and uh, and through uh, the church ministry. And so uh, that's what's going on uh, for us right now. And, and, And to be honest with you, anxiety and this idea of worry has been something that's kind of come to the forefront in our culture uh, over the last year. Um, Statistics have shown that the uh, percentage of especially young people who are now struggling with uh, with worry or or with stress and anxiety has exponentially grown. And I think we all can understand that. We don't need a lot of scientific research to maybe even prove that to us. We've all been living that. And so I feel that this text is so um, vital for us right now, that there's this command of, hey, instead of being worried about the things that you have no control of, let's put our focus and seek to honor God and seek to find the kingdom first. There's a challenge there, right? It's a denial of ourself, right? It's a denial to say, hey, you know what, God, I'm gonna trust you more than I trust my worry or even my own ability to provide for myself. And whereas last week there was this warning maybe against uh, wealth and privilege uh, and and this idea uh, that I'm gonna just hoard up things for myself, Right, there's a call to generosity. This is a little bit different. This might take a different toll. Maybe you can relate more to this teaching than last week's. I don't know. 
Maybe you would think, hey, you know what? Uh, I don't really have this idea of a ton of wealth. I'm barely scrapping, uh, scraping by every month to pay my rent. Maybe this is a text for you more, but I think we can both see this. Look at verse 25. Jesus said, I tell you not to be anxious about your life, what you eat or what you will drink, All right? Or you, nor you about your body, what you'll put on. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. I see you can look at this two ways. There's probably a group of people in this audience who said, you know what, uh, I, I can relate to this. I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. We know that people that, that came to Jesus a lot of times were people who were outside of uh, normal society. Uh, maybe the, the poor uh, and those who were um, cast out of society, they felt welcome around Jesus. And so there was probably a large segment of this crowd who was thinking, man, I hope Jesus feeds 5,000 again, because uh, I, you know what, I, that would be really good. Right? Jesus was a miracle worker. We see that he fed people. That was one of his things that he did. He took care of people's basic needs. And even in that Lord's Prayer that you studied a few weeks back, right? there was a prayer for, give us today our daily bread. I think of, uh, of Israel in the wilderness that each day they would gather enough food that God provided them of manna and quail for the day, right? That the manna would appear and it would, it would spoil after a day, right? Except on, on the sixth day of the week when they would gather, uh, they would gather two portions and it lasted two days. Man, God is amazing, right? Sometimes he can make things that expire in 24 hours, sometimes 48. God is so creative and, and so powerful. But the point of that is he provided their daily needs. He took care of them. And so maybe you're there. You're like, you know what? I don't know where the next is going to come from. I don't know where the next meal. And these people, you know, they might've been bartering for their food or just subsistence farming. Uh, but God is calling them to, to trust him for their daily needs, for their shelter, for their clothing, for their food. He has made us he has crafted us. If you go back to the beginning of the Bible, he made Adam and Eve from the, from the dirt of the ground and breathed life into their nostrils, right? When he created, created man, he knows exactly what we need and he is willing and good to provide it. And we got to trust him for that. And then maybe there were those who were there who were uh, maybe a little bit more uh, wealthy, a little bit more well-to-do. Maybe they had a little bit easier time when it came to this uh, and maybe that, that instead of worrying about exactly what, uh, if I was going to eat the next day, maybe it's more worrying about what I'm going to eat or what I'm going to wear. Maybe there's a comparison game that was going on in their mind. You know what? Uh, the family down the street that I'm sort of uh, contemporary with, I'm trying to keep up with them. You know, I, I would think that this idea of keeping up with the Joneses, that's something we say in our culture. I guarantee you this was a thing in their culture as well. You see, comparison is always the thief of joy. No one wins that game when we play the game of comparison. And so if you're thinking, man, you know what? They eat a lot better uh, over there. Or you know what? Their clothing is a lot nicer or more hip or, or whatever. I'm a, I'm a student pastor and, I, and some people have this uh, view of me being real hip uh, and they are quickly disappointed because I'm just not that hip. Uh, and, uh, and, but there's this idea even among like in, in church circles of, of keeping up a certain appearance, right? And then I've been, in, I've been a part of churches where how you dressed on a, a Sunday morning at a worship service kind of, kind of gave you a status and privilege. And so even this can creep in, in a different way. There are those in our, in our culture and society who just need a coat to wear in the winter. And I applaud you for the work that you're doing there with the homeless in Portland. 
Uh, I have another friend that lives in Portland, and he told me uh, that the, the homeless problem is, is, is uh, greater than he's ever seen in the city. Uh, and so there's more need there during this time. But maybe it's also is like, you know what? I, I'm just tired of wearing the same coat every year. I want something new and better. And, and, and maybe that becomes a, a thing that consumes you, right? Either way, that worry is not where to go in that. Right? If God will take care of you, if he loves you, which he does, and if he loves you enough to provide for you, which he has promised to do, then that's something that we shouldn't worry about. We should trust in him. And look at it. He gives an example in verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. They're birds. right? Most of the time, you probably walk down the street and don't even notice the birds. Right? And Jesus is saying, look, I take care of them. And he follows it up with a question are you not of more value than they are? And that's a rhetorical question, and we know the answer to be yes, because uh, it is said in the Bible that man and, and woman are made in the image of God. The theological word for that is the imago Dei. And the imago Dei brings a certain dignity with it. It means that you are made like God in His image and in His likeness. Man and woman, right? Equal before God, made in His image. And that is something special. And what it means is that the birds of the air God is taking care of, and the mountains and the rivers, He has created those things, and they are beautiful and glorious. But it means that there is a certain dignity that comes with being a human being that is missing from the other parts of creation. And He's saying right here, look, uh, are you not of more value than the birds are? I take care of the birds. How much more am I going to take care of you? And that's where this trust comes in. Um, Genesis 22, there's a story where Abraham is, is tested by God in his faith, and he takes his only son, who he waited many, many decades for. Uh, he takes his son Isaac, his firstborn, the son, the child of promise. Uh, he takes uh, this child, and God requires him to sacrifice Isaac. And as they're going up, Isaac, he sees the wood, and he sees the knife, and he understands they're going to worship to sacrifice and he asked his father, where is the lamb? Where is the, where is the lamb to be slain? Uh, and Abraham says something unique there. He says that God will provide the lamb himself. Right? And God is given a name there for the first time. It's called Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And so, yes, God will take care of us. He provided a ram, right? Instead of Abraham having to plunge the knife into Isaac to, to destroy him, God provided a ram caught in the thicket. And when we see that, that's who God is. He is a provider. He will provide all our needs. Philippians 4, Paul talks about this as well in the New Testament, about how he learned, has learned to trust God in lean times and in times of plenty. In that famous verse, Philippians 4.13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The context of that is, Paul is saying, look, I have struggled. I have had hills. I've had valleys. I've had good times. I've had bad times. I have learned to be content in all those. I can do all of these things through Christ who gives me strength. And the same can be said for anyone who's in Christ. The times that are lean, right, when we have to cut the budget a little bit, or the times that are good, maybe we get to go to Disney World on a vacation again someday, right? That I can learn to trust God in all of those times. Uh, I'm reading this book right now called God Smuggler uh, with my children at home and my wife. Uh, it's the story of a guy named Brother Andrew and uh, his life story, how he came to faith in Christ. He uh, lived in Holland during the uh, World War II when the Nazis were in control. And so he had to flee persecution and 
Uh, he was running away from God. He joined the army in Holland and went and fought uh, in, in, the, in the Southeast Asia. And, and this whole time he was just fighting against God, wanting to do his own thing. And eventually God got a hold of him and he gave his life and faith to Christ. He said he gave his yes, God, whatever you want, I'll give it. And uh, there's, he tells a story in here about he went on a missionary trip and they brought him to a city and gave him one dollar uh, and uh, gave him one pound uh, and said, go. And, and your mission was they were going to go and, and rent a hall and have a big revival meeting where they were going to preach and share the gospel. And they were given one pound. And at the end of the journey, they had to give the one pound back. And the story talks about how he learned to trust God for everything that he needed. He never asked for money. That was his rule. He said, I will never ask anyone for money. I'm just going to trust God to provide it. And time and time again, God provided everything. In fact, at the end of this journey, he gave back not one pound, but he gave back 10 pounds. All right? And that's who God is, right? He is a, 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 a giver. And in fact, you know what? I want to encourage you, maybe if you're feeling, uh, you know what, man, I don't know where my next, uh, I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. I don't know where the next um you know, a paycheck's going to come from. I want to encourage you that God uh, has a heart for you. Uh, he is, Jesus said, it's hard for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's, that's really the, the truth because uh, a lot of times what comes with wealth is self-reliance, that I got this. So if the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, as he says in Psalms, uh, if he's near to the brokenhearted and he's near to the poor in spirit, just in this sermon, he said, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, right? Then you need to be, take, take some joy in that and draw near to God in that. It's not impossible for a wealthy man to follow him. It is not. It's just more difficult. And most of the world, most of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, uh, we would consider to be in poverty. In places where there is very little, the church is exploding right now. And so take courage in that and take encouragement in that, that it's, it's a time to trust in God and to not worry about what comes next. Verse 27, he says, which of you can add a single hour to his span of life of being anxious? Right? And we hear that, we understand because of the research and science that no one can. In fact, anxiousness and worry and stress and the things that come with it, the health problems, the stomach issues, the, 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 the problems with headaches and other things that come with that, the sickness that may come with that, uh, we understand that actually makes your life shorter. Uh, and so Jesus knew what he was saying here. He's like, look, you can't add an hour of your lifespan by worrying. Instead, the, 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 the remedy to worrying is what? It's trusting. It's faith. Right? That, that's the remedy here. Anxiety is, uh, is a war that's going on inside of us, and it's caused by us worrying about things that are outside of our control. Right? There's an inside battle. That's the thing that's hard about worry, is that we may not see it on the outside, but we feel it on the inside, and that's why it kind of takes shape on the inside of us. And so worry uh, is something that all of us, that Jesus knew we were going to struggle with. Right? So don't beat yourself up on this. Right? And Jesus has given us a way, and we're going to get to that, a way out of that. Um, young people, I work with teenagers primarily, and I've seen more of this in the last year, more uh, of this worry and anxiety and mental uh, health struggles than I've ever seen before. And so it's a constant pointing back to the gospel, a constant pointing back to Christ to say, look, He is sufficient for your worry and your doubt. 
He, his sacrifice on the cross is sufficient for all things. Uh, we don't need another sacrifice. I don't need to add to his work. He is taking care of it. When he said it is finished, it is finished. All right. And a lot of people are, are, are kind of getting this is, uh, is starting to be caused by uh, isolation. Sometimes this worry, if I can just share it with another person and I can share my emotions and feelings with another person, it helps. Uh, we have discipleship groups here, or we call them D groups, uh, and we have home groups. Now, home groups are having trouble meeting in homes right now, and I know y'all are going through that same struggle. But when I can share my life with another person, and specifically another person who's trying to follow Christ like I am, then that, that takes my burden and my worry, and it cuts it in half a lot of times. So I want to encourage you, at whatever point it's, it is safe uh, and it's a healthy option for you to begin to gather with other people again, I really want to encourage you to do that because that helps. There's some stats right now. I heard uh, another pastor in Portland, I was listening to a podcast, he was talking about uh, that most young people, Generation Z, uh, they, uh, not most of them, but about 20 to 30% of Generation Z would say they have zero to one confidant in their life. That means they have no one they can really share their life with, right? The community that comes with being a part of the church is vital to your health, to your physical, mental, and spiritual health. It, it, it really is. Verse 28, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. The lilies of the field are beautiful because God made them that way. They don't rely on any of their own work. Um, yet I tell you this, not even Solomon. Solomon was King David's son, the third king of Israel from the Old Testament, was the wealthiest man of his time and the most wise man of his time. And all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. You can imagine the splendor and the, the regalness that came with, with Solomon and his temple and his uh, the cedars of Lebanon that were brought in to build it and all of these things. And people came and laid treasure at Solomon's feet. And Jesus said, look, the lilies of the field are more, have more splendor than even King Solomon, right? Because they have the fingerprints of God on them. Love that. But if God so clothes, verse 30, the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? I wish you could come to Texas sometime during this time of year. Uh, we have our state flower is called a blue bonnet, and you guys may have these uh, in Oregon as well. I know there's a, a tremendously beautiful uh, you know, flora and fauna uh, in Oregon. It's one of the things I love about coming to visit you. But uh, in the springtime in Texas, the blue bonnets are allowed to grow wild along the sides of the roads, the highways. And people will drive out to the countryside just to see the blue bonnets that are a beautiful blue flower growing on the side of the road. And I get an image of this uh, when I think of this. These flowers just naturally grow here. They're wildflowers and how beautiful they are. People will go from miles and miles and miles to take pictures with the blue bonnets. And that's um, what Jesus is saying here. Look, I have, I have been creative enough to create all of this. I am powerful enough to help clothe you uh, and give you what you need. And this idea of... Uh, the grass of the field that was cut and then thrown into the oven, it's temporary. Oftentimes the things that we're concerning and, and, and worried about are so temporary, right? That, that, uh, that as we look back on it, we're thinking, why did I really worry about that? I deal with teenagers a lot. And so the things that they worry about a lot of times as a 15 year old, sometimes I just want to roll my eyes and say, God, this thing is so temporary. 
But for them, it's not, right? They've only been 15 years of life experience. They don't really have anything past that. And so sometimes it's a step back. Let's think about how great God is and how maybe small this thing I'm worrying about is, like what I'm going to wear. Verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Jesus used this term Gentiles to say people who did not have faith not God's people. Paul and his writings in the New Testament often referred to it as the world. Right? So the world has a way of thinking and they have a way of responding and they have a way uh, of acting that so many times that the people of God, the church, just don't need to model or mirror that behavior. And one of those things is to worry about uh, what we eat, what we drink or what we wear. Right? The things that, that we have is a, uh, the creator of all time has sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay the penalty for sin for me and for you and for all time. And there's no way that you can gain more of God's love. You already have it all. Right? There's no way you can gain more of it. You, uh, if you're in Christ, have a right standing with God and that Jesus has resurrected under his own power on the third day after his crucifixion. And today he has ascended and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And so if we were to uh, view Christ for who he is and for what he has done, and if he has impacted our life with that, then we won't worry about these temporary, maybe even trivial things. Now, if we have a lot, then we should be giving a lot. Right? Some people really do uh, not know where their next meal is coming from. Some folks really do need a coat in the winter. And so if we have extra, then we need to be giving. Why? Because God is giving. Right? But it's not to consume our heart and our mind. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says this, and I'm about to wrap up. It says, cast all your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Here's four ways I, I see that, that God helps us when we take our anxieties, our worries to Him. He wants those. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. The first way is He gives us strength to face our trials and to not run away. Trials are coming. We're in one still, right? We're still wearing masks. We're still um, having to have our temperature checked. We're still deciding whether a vaccine's right for us or not, right? We're facing these trials. Isaiah 41 says this, Fear not, I will help you. I will strengthen you. Right? God is a helper. He is there to help. Second way, God gives us wisdom to understand the situation. There's some hard situations right now in our world. There's a lot of gray areas. Raising a family now is difficult. You're making decisions that probably your parents didn't have to make for your kids. James 1.5 says this, If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God and he'll receive it. Right? And we also have God's word here, which is the source of all wisdom. Right? God's own character, his own thoughts. And so I would, I would encourage you, if you're not uh, in, a, in a time of Bible study, to go to that. Right? If you need wisdom, it's there for you. Number three, he gives us strength to do what we must do. Sometimes uh, in a trial, it's difficult. Sometimes uh, to face our worries are a difficult thing to do. But he gives us strength. Right? In Philippians 4, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ, through Christ who gives me strength. 
even face down something that's difficult. Maybe even to talk about something that's really hard for me to talk about. And finally, he gives us faith for us to trust for him to do the rest. Psalm 37, five says this, commit your way to the Lord and trust in him and he will act. There's an act of faith that's required every step of the journey being a follower of Christ. There's an act of faith that is required to put your initial trust in Jesus for salvation. There's an act of faith that's required each day to say, you know what, I'm going to choose God's way. Right? If he asks me not to worry about these things, I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk to my pastor. I'm going to talk to my D group. I'm going to talk to my home group. I'm going to find someone uh, that can help me through this. Maybe it is a counselor. Man, godly counselors are so valuable. Remember, whatever this is, I'm going to commit my way to the Lord. I'm going to do what it takes to honor God in this situation. And then he gives us the conclusion here, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is going to care for his people. If you are about making disciples for the kingdom of God, then your meals and your food and your shelter and your provision, I know that God is going to take care of. Your pastor has walked this journey so many times, right? He has to depend completely on other people, right? To, to help for him to have a home, uh, for him to have a car, for him to do the things that he needs to do to pastor effectively and be on mission there in the city of Portland. And so he's a man and his family that you can look to for this trust journey. And I know there's many others uh, in, in your faith family as well that you could probably look to to say, you know what, that's a person that I need to kind of emulate a little bit, to trust. My dad told me when I was ordained to be a pastor, um, there's a bunch of guys who prayed over me, and I have no idea what they said at this point. But I remember what my dad said, because he quoted this verse. He said, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The righteousness that only comes from Jesus Christ, that we can't earn on our own. It's only given to us as a gift. Right? It's exchanged for our unrighteousness. Jesus gives us his righteousness. He took our unrighteousness on the cross. All right? And he gives us his righteousness. Seek that first and everything else will come unto you. Corey Ten Boom, I mentioned her uh, maybe a little bit earlier. She was actually a contemporary of Brother Andrew. She faced uh, the, um, she and her family were Christians and they hid Jewish people in their home during the Nazi takeover and, uh, in, of, of the Netherlands. And she went to a prison camp, her father and her sister as well. Uh, and just faced a really, really difficult situation. She has a famous quote that I think is appropriate here. It says this, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Tomorrow we have no idea what will come. Jesus says that tomorrow will have its own troubles. Tomorrow has its own anxieties, its own worries. Don't worry about tomorrow. But God is a big God who is capable of doing big things. He has done the work to save, and he will, he, he will continue to do the work to restore uh, and to meet your needs. And so I would say there are lots of worries in the world. I'm not here to deny that. But I would say that to go to God right, and to trust him, if you know God, then you know he holds the keys to your future. We love you, Sojourn Church. And uh, from here uh, in Beaumont, Texas, we want to say uh, that we're with you. Uh, and uh, we can't wait to continue to part partner with you 
uh, over the years. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.